I have to admit, last week was a little eerie. It was a little eerie preaching to an empty sanctuary, but now that I'm used to it, I kind of like it. I kind of like the crowds not being here. Uh, you, can, you can have a lot of fun. For example, how many of you like, liked uh, the sermon last Sunday? It's the only time I've had a 100% approval rating. Look at this, all except for the sound guy. <laughs> no, just kidding. No, the truth is we miss you terribly. I miss all of you looking in your eyes and just seeing each other. They will come and we will be back together. Uh, some things I want to bring to your attention. Um, first of all, go to the website often. It's changing every day as we figure out how to do this ministry in a congregation that is non-gathering. We have all kinds of great ideas. So the, the uh, website, I mean, not Facebook, the website is uh, being updated on a regular basis. If you'd like to have uh, virtual coffees, I've already had several. We're figuring how to do that as a staff. You can go to the uh, website and sign up. It'll send me an email, and I'll figure out how to connect with you. Uh, I was talking to the rest of the staff, student ministries, Stefan. If you guys, uh, you teenagers, want to have virtual coffees with him or you want to get involved in some of the gaming things that he's doing, contact him. He'll get you connected. Julie, you'll see on the website, I don't know if it's up there yet, but it will be. Uh, it has done work to record videos for your children so they can sit in front of the TV and have a similar experience. So look for your emails and look for that. We have worked really hard to support our county. For example, our restaurants, they're not open. We can't go inside and dine, but we can go take out dinners. So let me encourage you to, a couple times a week, go support our restaurants and maybe pick up an extra dinner and take it to somebody that you know is needy. It would help out. Uh, that reminds me, if you actually need help, and I'm not talking just money, that may be part of the help, Maybe you're not sure what to do with everybody getting laid off. Maybe you don't know how to file for unemployment, things like that. You can call the office or you can look on the website. We have more and more information appearing on there as well. Uh, By the way, thanks for the feedback on all the Lent devotions. The elders and staff are sending devotions out every morning. If you're not getting those, that means somehow we don't have your email. So go to the website and you can log in and put your email there. And uh, we'll send it to you. And then finally, uh, not least... uh, Just as important, we do have online giving. Just to remind you that uh, we still are a church, the truth is uh, we are very well taken care of, and we're grateful to all of you who have continued to support us during this time. Honestly, a lot of of your giving is going to help helping people in our county, and uh, we are grateful. Financially, we are in great shape, but we're grateful for the gifts and the those of you that are coming forward and say, letting us help out. So uh, for those of you that have never given online, uh, go to the website, and it's pretty easy to do. And so you can do that. Okay, we're in the fourth Sunday of Lent. Now, remember, Lent is designed to prepare us for Easter, just like Advent is designed to prepare us for Christmas. And so all of the various traditions where you all come from have different practices, and I would encourage you, especially during this time, to practice those disciplines. Pray more. Read your Bible. Um, Help those who need help. Sacrifice. Uh, Read our devotions in the morning when you get up and let it recalibrate your day. Many of you uh, have no choice but to stay home anyway. And I'm especially mindful of the young mothers. Uh, You have our prayers all the time, and we're trying to think of ways to encourage you and help you during this time, because we know that it's, it's really tough. And so I'm just grateful that you're there. So take advantage of this time. Uh, Lord willing, maybe we'll be back in time for Easter. It's going to be a party when we get back together. 
and they lift all of the public health orders so we can spend time together. Looking forward to that. So what we're doing during the Lent season is we're looking at the prayers of the redeemed in Revelation. So we're looking at this incredible story of Easter through the lens of Revelation because I think Revelation captures the Easter story from beginning to end. We start out by looking at Revelation 4 and 5. You remember I suggested that rather than think of heaven and earth as earth is here and heaven is someplace there, think of it as overlapping realms, if you will. We can't see the other realm. That's God's domain. But Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we are seated right now as believers at the right hand of Christ. I don't know what that is like. I don't know what that's like. If I could take these glasses off and put on other glasses, I would be able to see um, what that looks like, a whole different spiritual world. John was given that perspective in Revelation uh, 4 when the door opened and he could see into the throne room, if you will. He got to see that other world that is where God exists. By the time we get to the end of Revelation, the, the barrier between those two is gone. God comes to live with us on the new heavens and the new earth. And so we will experience it in all of its glory. But right now we have to kind of imagine it. And Revelation is using all sorts of imagery to help us understand what's happening. So when in, John, in Revelation 4 and 5, when John steps into the throne room, he is seeing the world as God sees it. So it's a different reality than we see because we're limited to our, our senses and our dimensions and all of that. But, but we get to see the world, the reality of the world through God's eyes. What a spectacular vision that is to capture a sense. Because from our perspective, we're seeing the world. And I, whenever I look over here, I'm, for those of you that aren't from here, I'm looking at the, the grand vista of the mountain range out there and how beautiful it is. And so when we... When we look at the world, we see it through the lens of terror, sin, tragedy, struggle, all of that. Um, but Revelation helps us to see reality from a whole different perspective, and that's God's perspective of triumph, the true king on the true throne in power. That's what's happening in Revelation. Um, this week, we're going to look at the trumpets, specifically the seventh trumpet, and we're focusing on the songs of the redeemed because I think the songs of the redeemed are a unique feature of Revelation that help carry the theology through the book and help us understand why is everybody celebrating and jumping up and down. When we look around our world, it's hard sometimes to jump up and down and celebrate. But when we look at our world through the lens of Revelation or through God's eyes, we have very good reason to celebrate and jump up and down. So we're going to look at the seven trumpets. But first, a word about last week. Last week, we looked at the six seals opened by the Lamb. The Lamb who was slain and is now victorious, we're told, in Revelation 5. So remember the story. <coughs> the uh, Lamb, there's a, a scroll, um, and John wants to know who can open it in Revelation 4. There's nobody to open it. So he cries, and he weeps, and weeps, and he weeps. And so when he finally opened, is able to open it, it's because there's someone who comes along who can open it. Now remember... God's plan, all the way back to Genesis, would as he was going to use a human to fulfill his plan. That's part of the message to Eve. Through your seed, I'm going to destroy this enemy. But then to Abraham, he says, one of your descendants is going to bless all the nations. So he put in place this double promise. It was going to be a human, and it was going to be somebody of Jewish descent. The problem is, as we all know, humanity failed and Israel failed. The Bible is very clear on that. So how in the world is God going to do that? 
No wonder John is weeping. And then he says, uh, Revelation 4 tells us, but there is someone, the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's what he hears. But then when he looks, he sees a lamb who is slain. That's Jesus. The two ministries of Jesus come together at that point in time. So we have a Messiah who can actually open the scroll. So the seals, there's seven seals on this scroll. Remember in the ancient world you had seals. They would use wax seals to make sure nobody was reading your mail. And so you had to break the seals. And the seals are open one at a time. So last week we looked at, just real briefly, six of the seals are opened and then everything stops. And then it says there was an angel, not the lamb. The lamb is the one breaking the seals. But an angel is given the seal of God. And we talked about that seal as a different kind of seal. It's a seal that marks out someone. You can mark out a slave or a servant, for example. And that was the imagery that Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 1. Let me turn to Ephesians 1. It's in the first chapter where he uses this very imagery so we can see it at work. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. You were marked. There's the word. So it's, it's a different kind of seal than on a scroll. The promised Holy Spirit. That's what the seal is. Who is a, gar- a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So the seventh, this seal, the special seal is unique. What it does is it marks out the faithful so that we always know who they are. And what we learn from this is that the faithful of God, contrary to what the world wants us to think, is not some run-down, disheveled group. Quite the contrary. We're the largest group in creation. John uses a language. Every tribe, every nation, every people is present and it's so numerous a multitude, he can't count them. So we're not part of a small group. We're part of a massive group. Hebrews says we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. We belong to something that is magnificent, a wonder, wonderful. It's a huge crowd. And we celebrate together the victory of the Lamb, which John tells us is assured. It's hard to understand some of this language because we live in a time, a, a world where time controls everything but God is outside of that so Revelation is describing this all of these scenes as as an accomplished event in his mind it's already done so remember the seals in the scroll have to be open before we can look inside and what's inside well, we don't know yet we haven't come there but what we can what I think we can presume is that it's God's plan to take care of this world Salvation, redemption, take care of evil, take care of corruption. Uh, Like an architect or an engineer, they have a plan uh, to do their work. Well, the scroll is God's plan. Six seals have been opened. That's where we finished last time. So then in Revelation 8, we have the seventh seal open. Revelation 8, verses 1 and 2. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for half an hour. Wow. Wow. Wonder what that looks like. Now remember, he just finished at the end of chapter seven with all of creation shouting the praise of God. You have this incredible symphony of of every creature, everything in creation, praising God, and all of a sudden silence. Silence. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, verse two, seven trumpets 
were given to them. So the final seal is open, but there's silence in heaven. Why? We're about to learn what's in the scroll. Can you capture it? What's there? I argued last week that the six seals up until now reveal to us in very graphic language the world that we experience all the time. We're familiar with it. And so what is the plan? There's silence. Silence in heaven. More mystery, more intrigue. Okay, before I answer the question, let me say a word about trumpets because the trumpets play a very large role here and they have a very extensive background in the Old Testament. Trumpets were uh, typically used, well, they were used for a variety of ways. They were used to invest, to instigate worship, a call to worship. Trumpets were also used as a warning to repent. They were used to signal a battle that was about to be enjoined. But they were also used to signal judgment, which I believe is the background to this particular story right here. One of the best stories, most familiar stories, which aligns with this one, is the story of Jericho in Joshua 6. So you know the story of Jericho. They come up to Jericho. They've just crossed into the land in Joshua 6. They're about to take, conquer all the nations and to subdue all the nations and take control of the promised land. So they come up to Jericho, a pretty small town, a walled town. That's where Rahab lived. So you may remember she's one of the ones that turned to the living God and survived. But they have this, they have this uh, wall. How are they going to take control? Uh, remember, uh, just 40 years ago, they were slaves. They're not warriors. They have very little experience in military strategy. What are you going to do? So God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk around the city every day. When I was in seminary in Dallas, I was teaching four- and five-year-olds, and I asked the kids how big Jericho was. Oh, it's very big. Is it as big as Dallas? Oh, yeah. And so I actually had a whole bunch of parents lighting the walls because they were kind of intrigued. Is it as big as Dallas-Fort Worth? Oh, yeah. Well, how'd they walk around it every day? Even the parents are going, yeah, how did they do that? You see, Jericho was probably only six or eight acres. That's the size of our park. You could walk around it. It's not a very big city. And so God wanted them to walk around it every day. But then he had, every day they walked around it, he took seven priests and gave them seven trumpets. And they were to walk around, and the army was to be silent. They're just walking while the trumpets are blaring around the city. On the seventh day, they did it seven times, And then they shouted, and the walls collapsed. Okay? Picture yourself on the wall of the the parapet, the wall. And you're watching this army just walk around. They're not building any siege works. They're not doing all the things you're accustomed to seeing. They're just walking while the trumpets are blaring. The silence of the soldiers. Can you picture what it would be like for somebody in Jericho going, what are they doing? What's happening here, right? It creates the mystery. It creates the intrigue. And then they blew the seven trumpets on the seventh day. I think this could be a picture of what's happening right here. Silence in heaven for 30 minutes. It draws all of us, the entire choir of all the angels, the 
the creatures of the saints who just a minute ago were praising God and shouting at the top of their lungs. And they all stop. What's going to happen? He's breaking the seventh seal so we get to see what's in the plan. These seven trumpets, I believe, are announcing judgment. Judgments not against those who have been previously sealed. The judgments are against the world, those who have mistreated God's people. Because if you remember, the fifth seal in Revelation 6, what did the saints ask? How long, sovereign Lord, are you going uh, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Yes, we get taken advantage of. This is part of our world. And that's the question that resonates through this whole section. How long, O Lord? So you see, these judgments are not for believers. They're not for us. They're for those who have taken advantage of us. But before the seven trumpets are blown, the prayers of God's people reach God. Verse 3 of Revelation 8. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar He was given much incense to offer. I love that. Much incense to offer. With the prayers of all God's people on the the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, they rise up before God from the angel's hands. Now, we've seen this before. A fragrant aroma. That's how God views our prayers. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, threw it down on the earth. I love that picture. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and earthquakes. So we've already seen this. Now what is new here is not that the prayers of God, God's people are rising to him fragrantly. What's new now is that the angel takes all of this and hurls the fire up on the earth. Judgment has begun. So if the, if the six... Um, Uh, If the six seals before us are a description of what we live with, what's going on on the earth, what this says is that the judgment has now begun, the judgment of God. That's what he's arguing, I believe. So remember this fifth seal. How long, O Lord, until you begin to take uh, revenge on what they've done to us? So the seven trumpets reveal that God's plan is now being enacted. That's what the seven trumpets are. He broke the last seal, and now we get the seven trumpets. We get to understand, and that's what the rest of Revelation is all about. The first four trumpets, uh, by the way, we have Old Testament imagery for this. They are modeled after the plagues of Egypt. First four trumpets, the language that's used there, capture at least five of the ten plagues. Now remember what the plagues were for. He used the plagues back in Exodus to destroy the gods of Egypt. It was his indictment against this idolatry, against these gods. He brought judgment upon the Egyptians, as well as the unfaithful in Israel, by the way. Whoever didn't put the blood on the doorpost lost their firstborn. So the faithful were protected. The Egyptians were not. He demonstrated his incredible power, honestly, and glory, which the Israelites needed to see. Because in just a very short time after the Exodus, they're, they're frightened, they're doubting, but it sounds kind of familiar today. We're having regular conversations with people who are nervous about all this. And so they needed to remember how powerful God was. So they got to see all of that. So the six trumpets, they're captured in Romans 8, verse 6 through eleven fourteen. We're not going to read all this. 
you can read them, but I want to bring your, to your attention a couple of things. There's two verses out of this whole long sequence of the trumpets. One is, in chapter 9, verse 4, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any of the plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now remember, when we talked about the seal of God, that's the mark placed on all believers. We are protected. And then toward the end of verse 9, chapter 20, the rest of, uh, verse 20, the rest of mankind were not killed by these plagues. Uh, who were not killed still did not repent. Now listen to this. I have long believed that salvation is our choice. We are wired to move toward God. We're created that way. So God gives us the freedom to say, absolutely not. Stay out of my life. In my experience, decades as a Christian, I have found that to be true. He gives us the choice to reject him. So now listen to these words. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons, idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. We might add stocks, bonds, wealth, and a few other things. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immoralities, or their thefts, their stealing. They're stealing. It's astonishing to me now, when I look at what happens around the world at corruption, the people that typically pay the price are the poor. It's astonishing to me. It's so natural for sin to take advantage of the poor. I see it everywhere I look. So, um, just as he did with the plagues, he destroyed the gods of Egypt. So these same plagues and these trumpets are designed to show judgment against the gods that our world still follows today. And so we, as the faithful, get to see his amazing power That's what's behind it. So the faithful can see that God is now acting on our own behalf to defend us. Revelation is meant to be very encouraging to us, not to be frightening to us. It is an apocalypse, but not for us. It's for the world. It's a vision for us of God's greatness and his deep love for us. That's what I think. The trumpets are focused more on judgments brought on evil rather than warnings. And just like in the story of Joshua, the first six trumpets are preliminary punishments to the final one, the seventh trumpet. Because you had the six days of marching, that was preliminary to the seventh when everything collapsed in the city, everything. Okay, so now let's say a word about the seventh trumpet. It says when, uh, in Revelation eleven fifteen. The seventh trumpet, uh, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet. By the way, remember the lamb is opening the scrolls. The angels are blowing the trumpets. When the seventh angel sounded his trumpet, there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. I love that verse. Captured in the Messiah, which I play every day during Advent. Drive my family crazy. Uh, one of my children called me during Advent. They're all grown. Dad, are you listening to the Messiah? I was in my office. I said, hold on. 
put my phone over by the speaker, they could hear the Messiah. The world must be okay because I was listening to the Messiah. So when the seventh trumpet is blown, there are loud voices that are proclaiming the reality of our world. And here's the reality. The very first thing he tells us is that the vision that God is passing on is one of a global vision. You see, the kingdom which God has established through the risen lamb has universal rule. Listen, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. So the kingdom that God has established through the risen lamb, Jesus, uh, has now become universal rule. He has reclaimed his rightful property, and as Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. And as the angel said in, uh, Revel- in Revelation 4, he is victorious. It's done. So then, all of a sudden, we have the song of the redeemed. Just like everything else, when God acts, everybody jumps up, and that's why we worship. We worship because of what God has done. And here's what happens. In the verse 16 and 17, the 24 elders who were seated on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God. Now, remember, I, I argued a few sermons back that the 24 elders are representing the faithful of God. That's us. Here's what they said. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. You see, the opening of Revelation is it comes a fulfillment right here. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, he says, You are the one who is, who was, and who is to come. And he has now begun to reign. That's why they're singing. That's what's happening right now. You have begun to reign. You've begun to reign. Psalm 2 is now accomplished. Listen to verse 18, the second part of the song for the redeemed. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Now listen to Psalm 2. It's one of my favorite psalms. It's a messianic psalm, and it captures this very picture. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? This is our world. This is the world we see. This is not the world on the other side. Revelation lets us see this through God's eyes. This is our world. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains, throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. I love this verse. I love the picture of God just sitting up there laughing and chuckling at our great wisdom and what's happening. He laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger, terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree, the psalmist says. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me. And I will make the nations your inheritance. The very thing that Satan tempted Jesus with. I will make them your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Now remember John. He heard about the lion of Judah and he saw the slain lamb. They come together. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are those 
who take refuge in him. Now listen. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead, for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. So the opening of Revelation 1, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, has now happened because the Lamb uh, has assumed control. The kingdom is very real and alive. The Lord has begun to reign. All that is left to do now is the very last phrase, to destroy those who destroy the earth. You see, God is now confronting the powers of the world that he is now in charge and he is ruling through his risen lamb. I think that's what the seven trumpets tell us. And this is the plan of God. He has assumed control. The kingdom of God is very alive, very real. In John's vision, it, is, it happened with the words, it is finished. The future has now become part of the present. Then he has one finishing paragraph or sentence here about God's faithfulness. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. We can now see that heaven is open to us. We can even see the ark of the covenant, which captures, which has the Ten Commandments, the covenant, the very first covenant with God found within it. This now explains so many passages in the Bible. For example, Matthew 27, the tearing of the curtain in the temple in the, when Jesus died. We can now look into the temple, into the Holy of Holies. Or as Hebrews says, we now have access. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew 16, Mark 9, Luke 9. Jesus says that some will not taste death until they see the kingdom. I think that's what happened at the resurrection. The kingdom of God. When Jesus said it is finished, that's what he meant. Colossians 1.13, Paul says that we have been brought into his kingdom, out of death into his, into his kingdom. That's a present reality for Paul. You see, the presence of the Ark of the Covenant in Revelation reveals that God is faithful to his covenant promises because that's what's in the Ark. So we can see God is finishing all time in our world. We have nothing to be afraid of. Oh, we practice social distancing. Don't get me wrong. We're not, we're not ridiculous. We do practice it, but we do it with faith that God has now taken over the throne. Okay, so what does this mean to us? I'm continuing to argue throughout Lent. No matter what we have to endure now in the way of tribulation or war or disease, we can be assured of God's protection and love. Remember, our two worlds now coexist at the same time. We get to see it from God's perspective. Whenever you hear the word God or Jesus, I would challenge you to instantly stop and think about this incredible vision of events that you have nothing to worry about. You have been marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit. All that's happening is not for you. All that's happening around us is to allow us the opportunity to reflect his glory, to show his kingdom to the world which can't see it any other way. And honestly, it should cause us to do what is happening in Revelation, songs of the redeemed, jump up and down in praise. You know, by now, if you're like me, you're beginning to 
uh, it's wearing on me feeling the absence of church. I've always known church was important. I've always believed it, but now I feel it. I can't come here and see all my friends. And whenever somebody comes to my office, I have to keep six or eight feet distance. I'm an asthmatic. I live at a high altitude. I'm one of the high risk people. And so I have to keep them distant. That's not who I am. I'm not wired that way. And so I'm beginning to feel, and this might go on for quite a while, the absence. I long for the day when you're all sitting here and we can jump up and down and party and sing. And and I have no doubt that when that day comes in the future here, soon I hope we'll have new faces for people that have turned to the Lord in faith because of their fear over what's happening. Once again, we can be a gathered church rather than a quarantined church. I think that will be fun. And remember, there is one who stands behind everything that is happening. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Again, that's what Revelation is telling us. This is the story of Easter. This is what happened at the resurrection. This is what happened. Father, thank you for loving us so much. Thanks for a staff who is so creative in finding ways to stay connected with our people in spite of the quarantine rules. One day, Lord, this will be a memory to us. We may have sadness because we might have said goodbye to some of our friends. I don't know that. But uh, I'm so glad for this staff. Thank you for the, the saints in our church, the believers who are standing strong and faithful, encouraging one another, who are meeting our needs and taking care of us so we can meet the needs of others. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that the victory is already assured and accomplished. We are, we are grateful. In your son's name, amen. I, pr- I tr- pray and trust that as you are quarantined in your houses or wherever you happen to be, that you can experience the peace of Christ. That's why he came. Thank you.